0: Hello there, and once again, welcome to the Broadcast Preview podcast. Callum Williams alongside Kindredy, St. Albion, and Jamie Watson, as always. A packed show ahead for you. We'll talk all about the latest deals on the transfer deadline day, including a new Uruguayan superstar for Minnesota United, a potential superstar, perhaps, anyway. The Open Cup final, of course, we'll briefly touch on that. And, uh, of course, there's been plenty of hirings and firings in the world of Major League Soccer, both Mike Petke and Wilma Cabrera uh, released from their duties in the Western Conference, we'll touch on that, as well as preview the next opponent for Minnesota United, Orlando City. But first, Kindredy St. Auburn, let me start with you very, very busy period for Minnesota United. The office is buzzing at the moment, isn't it? It's like an organized ant's nest. Everyone's sort of rushing around, dodging people in the hallway and running around and getting things sorted. Um, So let's talk about, uh, first of all, briefly, the game that happened over the weekend. um, Minnesota United fell to Dallas and there were a myriad of, of adjustments from the Loons starting 11. I think a lot of people were surprised with that, but... Then you fast forward to Wednesday's result over Colorado Rapids and you can see why those adjustments were made.
1: Well, I think, too, I think, um, you know, heading into that FC Dallas game, I wasn't sure what to make of FC Dallas. I mean, they had had their struggles offensively. You just didn't know what you were going to get, how they were going to come out. They're still trying to sort things out with Lucha Gonzalez. And, um, you know, when when Adrian Heath came out with that lineup, I wasn't totally. I didn't hate it. I, w- I wasn't looking at it going, oh, my goodness. Yes, there was a ton of changes, but I just thought you still had some really solid core pieces in there that could quite possibly go on the road and get the job done. And unfortunately, at the end of the day, it wasn't enough. And FC Dallas came out just flying offensively. I mean, they absolutely had a point to prove because their offense had been crushed over the last few games, um, you know, publicly and in the papers and the media and everybody else was talking about how they just hadn't found a way to score and they couldn't get it together. And they came out just flying and pressing and it was too much for Minnesota. And that's how you end up with a shootout of a 5-3 scoreline. And, um, you know, that that's. And ultimately, I think it's okay to go on the road to lose to Dallas. Of course, you never want to give up points, but it's 103 degrees and you switch your lineup that much. And, you know, you've got to win your games at home and it's a tight schedule. You have an insane amount of games in a short period of time. So in the end, I I would think that nobody likes to give up points. But Adrian Heath on the road to SC Dallas in a short week, 103 degrees with that many changes in the lineup. It, it was a possibility, and then you come you come home and you get a victory over Colorado, a much-needed victory at home, and, and they did what they needed to do.
0: Jeremy, how do you begin to assess the last couple of days for Minnesota United? I think
2: the reason Adrian Neath had so much confidence in making the lineup changes he did, too uh, to go along with what Kendra was saying just a moment ago, Cal, is that it just really kind of spurned off the fact that they went to Montreal after making similar-type changes and got a result on the road. Now, if that Montreal game hadn't happened yet, do I think there may have been as many changes? I'm not so sure. Mm-hmm. But I think there was a, a growing in confidence, and I think that, that faith that Adrian has in the depth of his squad after that performance allowed himself to be on board completely with the fact that I can make all these changes because I've seen it before. This isn't a guess of how I think it's going to go. I've seen these results go the way that we want them to. So that's why they made as many changes, but also to let's not forget that the MLS season was condensed by a month, which I do think is the right decision simply because you were running up to an international break during the playoffs. You're playing your final in December. I mean, everything about it was, it it was stretching too long on the back end for my liking. But when you do that, now everything gets condensed and the schedule gets tighter. And also, oh yeah, the team's made this run into the open cup final. So you've added on several more games that a lot of other MLS teams aren't playing. So you do get this convoluted schedule. You get this schedule in which there's a lot of games in a short amount of time. So you have to pick and choose which ones you think you can run out your full for your full uh, first team, the full force, the squad. You think that if you had to pick one best 11, this is going to be your best 11. You can't run them out every single day. So uh, I believe you said it in the, the show the other day, Cal, the old adage, you win your games at home, tie on the road. I think if you could have said Adrian gets a chance to rest those starters with home games before and after that FC Dallas game, make the changes, and hopefully that squad can go get a result, and a result being hopefully at least a tie against Dallas, Adrian would have been more than pleased with that. Um, So I agree with the decision. Obviously, on the night, they had their opportunities. You score three goals on the road. You give yourself every chance to win, but Mm. when you give give up five goals, you don't deserve to win, do you? And 4-3, Ethan Finley hits the post in the 80-something minute. Yeah could have changed the game completely. It didn't, but um, you know, then it was even more important. The response, you know, last night against the Colorado Rapids and uh, it certainly wasn't pretty. It's not one that we'll look back on and go, let's watch that tape back just for nostalgia. But you were able to get three points. And at the end of the day, performances don't get remembered results do. And we'll remember those big three points, especially down the road as the Western conference gets more and more crowded. And you look at Seattle I mean, we'll talk about this a little bit more in the standings, but they could have been second place had they have done their business against Real Salt Lake. But instead, now they're in fifth place. I know we're going to talk about that more in a minute, but um, because of the results that went the other way last night, that made even more importance on getting three points, and the team just did did just that.
0: Yeah, every game in MLS at this stage of the season, just so important. But this is the... the thing about it, Kendra, and the reason why the coaching staff made the changes heading into the Colorado Rapids game as well, um, and changing them back foot for the Rapids game rather, there is, because let's be honest, the overall thought here is that Minnesota not only wants to get to the playoffs, they want to host a playoff game. You have to, going into the postseason, you have to give that element of, of fear to the opponents. You have to have that sense of control at home. So I completely understand why, once again, the changes were made made in Dallas, because once again, Minnesota United were victorious at home, and again, giving the impression that they are almost unstoppable at home. And again, everybody who comes into Allianz Field, they're thinking, oh, it's a difficult place to go.
1: And we're talking about it's a difficult place to go. It's a difficult place to play. But honestly, one of my, my favorite moments pregame is sitting up in the booth an hour and a half before kick and watching the visiting opponents come into the field and just look around because everybody if there's anywhere that people want to go to at least for the nostalgia and to look at Allianz Field and experience it not to come there because they think they're going to get three points in a win but just to experience the beauty that it is it's it's fun to watch visiting teams come in and just like wow this is this is the real deal and secondly it's really fun to watch them as the crowd goes insane and to hear what a a real fan base is like and what Minnesota supporters have done and I, I think that Adrian Heath has said it since day one even back in TCF Bank Stadium. You've got to make your home a fortress. And Allianz Field has become that. Whether they're winning by multiple goals and they're crushing people in US Open Cup in games like they did in New Mexico or beating FC Cincinnati by, you know, a touchdown or whatever it was, seven to one or whatever the result was, or it's it's gutting out a one-nothing win, which they've done several times in the last few weeks, or a one goal win using defense if the offense isn't going, or or vice versa. I think that this is absolutely what has to be established in any team in MLS. You have got to win your games at home and make people fear the fact that they are going to have to go there and they don't want to end up in a specific spot above the playoff line knowing that they are going to have to travel to Allianz Field. And I think that's what Adrian Heath and his staff have done, and that's why they put the importance on the Colorado game or, or any home game, whoever it would have been, That for that matter, after that FC Dallas match. And, and that was important, going into FC Dallas, knowing that you were going to be coming home, and you've got to get these two wins at home, and now you've got Orlando City.
2: Off the back of that, there's only five other teams like Minnesota United that have one loss or fewer at home. And you go through those teams, you start looking at LAFC. Arguably, maybe one of the best teams ever assembled, playing at Bank of California Stadium, an imposing place to play in front of the 32,52. Then you got Minnesota United joining that group. Then you got Portland Timbers as a one-loss team at home, Providence Park. I mean, that's a very intimidating place to play. FC Dallas, Minnesota United just saw that playing those games in the summertime. There, talk about a home field advantage. Go over to the Eastern Conference. One loss for the Atlanta uh, for Atlanta United. I was about to say the Atlanta Falcons. That's how, (laughs) that's how, that's what I think of Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And that's the first thought that comes to mind. Um, Atlanta United, they've got one loss. And then the only other team uh, to join Minnesota United with one loss or fewer at home is NYC FC playing at Yankee Stadium. That's also a home field advantage playing on the postage stamp there. So everything Kendra said, but also Minnesota United is joining that conversation of being one of the most difficult places to play. And right now, I I don't really think it's not because of the weather. It's not because of wow, it's it's really hot or anything else that is not really in Minnesota United's control. It's because of the fans. It's because of yeah. the stadium. And and Kendra's right. I mean, it's uh, I don't. I think you said nostalgia for me. I the word that came to my mind when people walk into the stadium is starstruck. Mm-hmm. Almost as if the players are just like, wow, I can't believe I'm here in this stadium. That's great. Fine, be starstruck by it all know that when this place fills up, fills up and it's all Minnesota United fans, it's going to be the worst place you've played in a long time and it's proven to be that and so um, it's really cool to see and it's really fun. It's been amazing to see how it's transformed this 2019 MLS season for Minnesota United.
0: I had a quick chat with Kai Kamara after the game whilst we were watching the Special Olympics which we'll also talk about later on as well and even he admitted this is probably the best stadium I've ever played in and let's not forget Kai Kamara has played for mm-hmm. uh, whole host of Major League Soccer teams, but also played in the Premier League as well, and in the Championship in England. He's played in in European competitions as well. Uh, It just goes to show how much of a difference it really can make to a football club. But let's refocus on the actual 90 minutes themselves, shall we, against Colorado Rapids. And, Kindra, I think it's safe to say... um, Well, at least in my opinion, anyway, it probably could have been, probably should have been a three or four nil victory for Minnesota United. They had an abundance of chances, but nevertheless, they got the win they needed.
1: Well, I think that's the balancing act because you're, of course, what you want is opportunities. You want to create chances as an offense. That's what you want to do for a club. But then so it's like it's that weird balance where you're like, well, we didn't finish them, but we at least created them. Well, then your your standard has to go up even more and say yes, we've created them, but now we need to finish them. We need to execute on those opportunities, regardless of it's first half, second half, somebody off the bench, if it's Darwin Quintero, you know, Angela Rodriguez, Kevin Melino, a booted it doesn't matter. Like you've got to capitalize on those opportunities because you go against a team, a different team perhaps, and they're going to bury those chances. One nothing with a multitude of shots and the bulk of possession is not going to win you a game and. I think that's what Adrian Heath's emphasis was after the match. Yes, he's happy that they created the chances, but ultimately you've got to finish those. You've got to finish those at this level because to go forward and getting to that next level, getting to the playoffs, wanting home field advantage, you've got to bury those chances because you never know what can happen at the other end. I mean, soccer is a funny game that way. It's the only game where you can dominate in every statistical category. you go going on the other end, an incidental handball, an own mm-hmm. goal. I mean, you know, there's sometimes there's so few scoring opportunities that something can go against you like that, and you end up either with a draw or a loss. So kudos to the offense for creating the chances, kudos to the defense for keeping a clean sheet to 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 solidify that 1-0 victory. And now got to capitalize on those opportunities that you have done really well offensively to create. And by the way, I loved Kevin Molino in there with that nice. group in the midfield and with Darwin and, and and even with Angelo, it's a different flavor than of course having speed up top, but um I just think he frees up Darwin Quintero to do what he needs to do closer to the goal when Kevin Molino is in there creating.
0: Jimmy, am I right to have a, a sense of sympathy for Abu Dunladi? He oh. simply can't seem to buy a goal at the moment. Yeah,
2: I mean from the from the human side of it, because I, I understand and, and I can certainly relate I've been in that spot plenty of times in my career and sometimes the goal seems 30 yards wide and sometimes it seems 3 feet wide and right now it's probably seeming like the latter for Abu Dunladi, but Sympathy is something that you can't have too much of in professional sports, and with all things considered, we talked plenty about Mason Toy and and why he was uh, not in last night's match or why he won't be uh, in Saturday's match against the Orlando City. But this was an opportunity; the door was open for a Ladi, and I guarantee you, if a Ladi scores any of those chances he had last night against Colorado Rapids, and then comes in and has another good performance against Orlando City. Then all of a sudden, when you're playing against Sporting Kansas City away, who does Adrian Heath pick? Mm. The guy that has scored maybe the Colorado game and the Orlando game, maybe scored in Colorado, another good performance against Orlando. And then now you've got to make a decision either from the start or coming off the bench first. Who am I picking? Mason Toyo hasn't played in two weeks. Or Abu have who's done really well the last two games. Two weeks, sorry, one week, last two games. But he didn't take the opportunity all you can do in sports as a as a coach as a player is as a coach offer the opportunity and as a player get that opportunity but it falls squarely on your shoulders to finish that opportunity and he didn't now If you'd have said, I'll give you $1 million, I'm going to cross it in, head the ball down from where you're at, that exact position, hit the top of the crossbar twice and go over where neither one of your teammates are waiting to tap it in, and Quintero or Finley, uh, I don't think you could do it again. It's that much of a fluke play on that one particular cross, but having said that, three years in, and a guy that's been desperate for an opportunity with another emerging player in your position... That is doing so well that there's the questions of the U 23s and the national team and all that hoopla that's been surrounding Mason toy the last couple of weeks, apart from the negative, negative outcome on Saturday, you finally got the opportunity and he didn't take it. He's got another opportunity on Saturday. Hopefully if Adrian, Heath gives him that chance, if the game calls for it, but it's hard to have sympathy in professional sports to a certain degree. I empathize. But at some point, the sympathy won't get you anywhere and it won't get you points. And if you have too much sympathy, that can also be a bad thing. So he's got to take one of these opportunities he's been given this season because he hasn't taken any of them to date, apart from the one in New York when he scored a wonderful goal against the Red Bulls away. Mm.
0: Okay, well, let's move on from one young player to another for Minnesota United and a sparkling new one at that as well. uh, Thomas Chacon. And we'll get the pronunciation right, shall we? Chacon. Imagine there's an A where the O is, and we'll be okay. Um, you make it seem so easy. <laughs> that?
1: Well, his A where the O is is different when we say an A where the O is, so it still doesn't exactly translate with the British accent as opposed to an American accent. But we'll, we're, we're, working it, <laughs> we're working on it. We're working on it. We're
2: working on
0: it. Voice lessons <laughs> af- immediately after the podcast with <laughs> Professor Williams. There we go. We'll record it, shall we? Um, so uh, Thomas Chacon, um, I think uh, Adrian Heath... Um, and several of the members of the coaching staff identified him as not perhaps the best young attacking player in South America, but the second best, Mm -hmm. because I think it's safe to say Brian um, Rodriguez, who went to LAFC, would would very much fit um, that particular title, and that's why he cost $11.5 million. But nevertheless, uh, Thomas Chacon is, is somebody the coaching staff have been aware of for about a year. They've watched him for about six months, and Explain to me now, Kendra, how we should view this, because he's coming as a young designated player. It's a sign of ambition from the club, no doubt about it. But realistically, with him being 18, he'll turn 19 next month, to my knowledge. What are the realistic expectations over the next year or so?
1: So this is the thing for me. He's 18 years old, nearly 19, as you say, and... There's this element of like, well, he's young. Let's be patient with him. Well, if you talk to Adrian, he to a certain extent, he's telling you, well, he's been playing professionally for two years. Um, you know, in Uruguay, they do it completely differently. Uh, you know, as a lot of countries yes. do, yes, other places. Yes. I mean, 18 years is no big deal. The only, the only thing to me that is going to be a little bit different in in talking about him. It's not his on the field abilities at 18. It's just the transitioning of moving to the United States, moving to Minnesota. It's a new culture. It's a new league. It's a new feel. He's been playing professionally in his home country. He's been playing for the U 20 national team. Those are all things that are familiar to him, whether he's staying in the, in the area there or whatever he's he's surrounded by things that are familiar to him so to me that's what I'm going to look at as an 18 year old you are still 18 and you are moving to a new country I have no idea who's coming along with him what kind of family he has if his parents I mean when you're 18 what's going to happen we talked about Mason Toy coming in at 19 and he he was coming from Indiana Mm. and talked about the transition to the league you know to to MLS and living here by himself as a 19 year old so that's what I'm going to keep an eye on I think his ability on the field if it translates to MLS, like I think it should and it could. As this young player, I I watched nearly every clip available of him, not just scoring goals, but every goal opportunity, every 1v1 situation, taking players on, every pass he completed or not completed. These weren't highlight reels. These were just things that had been collected on him, so they could be incompletions. They could be missed Missed chances, missed shots. And I still love the pace at which he plays. Every time he gets the ball, he accelerates. And I think that is something that Minnesota United is in desperate need of, a player with pace, with the ball at his foot, to accelerate. Yes, he's small in stature, but I think he can slice and dice. I think he has the composure. And I think, um, you know, playing professionally at 18 over there and and for two years now, that he has no problem going up against older, bigger, stronger people, men, um, in that league, so I'm excited to see what he can do. And I think if you have a player that can take people on and really make the defense question what they're doing, they can't sit in that block defense. You know, on the road that a lot of teams do against Minnesota is going to be enough. T- a lot, a lot tougher. We've seen it from Vancouver. It's how last night to a certain extent with Colorado as well. Sitting in and you have a player like that can kind of draw them out, break them down, keep them honest.
0: I think long term, Jamie, that the the idea is that he'll replace Darwin Quintero in the number 10 role. But let's just talk about it over the next year or two, shall we? Because I'm not convinced we'll see him in this number 10 role, at least on a consistent basis for some time. For a myriad of reasons, and, and, and hear me out here, here's my explanation for it, and I could be completely wrong here, so tell me if, if I am. I think, we're more than likely going to see him on the left-hand side of the three behind the forwards, simply because, as you insinuated, Kindra, he does like to run at people. He's fantastic at dribbling, and he can sell a trick or two as well. If you play him in, in sort of a 10.5-slash-wide position on the left-hand side of the three, there's so much more room to manoeuvre. If you stick him inside, in, a, let's be honest, in a league where the centre of midfield can become very, very congested and very aggressive as well, At most, you've got one touch and a quick pass. Maybe two if you're very lucky. And I wonder if he were to play in this number 10 role for Minnesota United, would there be a deluge of bodies on top of him as quickly as possible, thus meaning he wouldn't be successful in that role? I I just am not convinced we'll see him in that 10 role consistently Quite yet, and also because of the aggressive nature of the league as well. Now, having said that, Adrian Heath, as you alluded to, Kendra, said the aggressive part of the league won't be an issue for him because he's been playing in a a very aggressive league down in Uruguay for several years now.
2: Yeah, I mean, keep going, pal.
0: I'll stop you when you're wrong
2: because everything you said, uh, I know the listeners can't see it, but I'm sitting there going, yep.
1: We're both nodding. Yep. Mm -hmm. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Yep.
2: Uh, that 30 second synopsis you just gave is about as spot on as you can get. So what I won't try, I won't contradict anything you said, because I agree wholeheartedly. I'll just try to add to it that I think for 2019, I think you temper expectations from a product standpoint that if he doesn't end the season with at least four goals and four assists, this is a bus. No, don't worry about numbers when it comes to watching and evaluating uh, Tomas Chican this year because by the way did I say that right yes okay there we go all right right so I've already taken I've already passed it sound my first like test
1: when you say it no it sounds I so cannot, much cooler I cannot do it
2: Kyle makes everything sound better um, we all know that one but I think the the part of what Kendra said about adjusting to life here in the United States is a massive part of it I think a part of adjusting to Major League Soccer is another massive part of it but at 18 years old you would be Naive to think that, and, and by the way, he's got a birthday coming up in, in two days, I believe. So um, I'm sure he's listening to this happy early birthday, uh, Tomas. So we're talking about a 19-year-old that'll come here. You'd be naive to think that a 19-year-old is a finished product. Now, while he has more experience because of his experience with the under-15s, the under-17s, the U-20s, the World Cup he just played in, he has a wealth of experience at his age. So that's going to progress him further along. But he's going to get better and better but getting better and better means there are going to be taking some lumps along the way and adjusting to the style of play here, because in Uruguay, yes, it is physical. And the referees um, aren't so quick sometimes with tackles and whistles. So he's, he's going to be okay, riding a tackle, getting tackled, maybe even potentially, you know, putting in a tackle or two, but the pace of which the game plays, there's more ebbs and flows in Uruguay. There's moments when the game's at a walking pace because teams don't just fly around hundred miles an hour. Anybody that's been to a game in major league soccer knows that's not how it's played here, right? Wrong or indifferent. So the speed of play is different. I won't say it's better. I won't say it's worse. It's just a different speed that the game is played at. So can he slow the players down around him that he's that are defending him throughout the course of the game to accentuate that change of pace that he has? to really then use his burst of speed and his acceleration to get by a player. Can he be smart enough to adapt and give what the game tells him here? These are all things that are going to take time and just experience of being in these moments of happening. You're not talking about a player at 24 years old. That's coming over that you're saying you should be right at the beginning of your prime, maybe even already in your prime. And we should expect your prime for four or five more years. This is a player that is working towards that. And that still means there's going to be lumps along the way. So, temper the expectations for 2019, but then in 2020, yeah, this should be a player that is looking to compete for starting time. But again, as of now, if this same lineup carries over into next year, you still have Darwin Quintero and Kevin Molina, who I think are better options at the 10 right now than Tomas is. Mm. And that's my opinion on it because I think those players give you the best opportunity to win now. And this is very much a win now league of right. win now team. Adrian Heath, he, he had a, the first couple of years building into this team that he has now. Last thing he wants to do is go, right. Okay. I want to hand over the, the, the reins to number 10 that I'm not sure has adjusted fully yet to it, you know? So it's going to take some time. He's got two very good players in the position currently to learn from, to grow from. Hopefully the Uruguay Columbia connection is strong and he can learn from Darwin adjust here, connecting with Kevin, see how it works within the system. And then find his minutes, like you said, out wide in those positions where he's get he has a little bit more of a chance to succeed and excel earlier. And I think that, that it, those excelling moments will happen probably more next year and the year after that, than what you'll see this year. Now, having said that, I hope I'm completely wrong. And he scores four and full and I get four <laughs> games and four, four goals, four assists and a couple of games. And I get to eat these words on a podcast at a later date this year, but that's kind of what I anticipate with Tomas Chacon but i will i will say this sorry one last thing cal what ambition by the club though to get him at this point in a year's time transfer value is double if not you know double and a half for for my money what what i see his progression going and what the market value would be for him so to be a player hopefully we get to see for a long time and then could be a very good bit of business on the back end sorry about that go on
0: cal no no well i was just going to say um you've reminded me thank you i've got to give myself a slap on the wrist um because it is it's it's uruguay not not uruguay i appreciate that so
2: oh whoa yeah, mark it down uh, hold on here we go <laughs> august 15th the day that we record this the day that i finally
0: said a word right that cal did and look at that <laughs> there we go um right um I think it's safe to say Major League Soccer is now becoming um, a familiar destination for South American players. Uh, Thomas Chacon wasn't the only South American to join Major League Soccer um, over the course of the deadline day. Let's talk about perhaps the biggest signing on deadline day, at least from a name point of view and and, and a stature, shall we? Christian Pavon has come in from Boca Juniors. And um, I must admit, when I first saw the rumours, I thought there's absolutely, and I say this with all due respect, no chance... This chap comes to Major League Soccer. It wasn't too long ago. He was linked with a $40 million move to Arsenal. And I've checked. I've spoken to people in England and one or two people in South America. That was legitimate. He was going to go. He fell out of favor a little bit with a new manager at Boca Juniors. But what he's done now, Kendra, is he's reunited himself with Scalotto at LA Galaxy, a man who got the best out of him. This is a tremendous signing for LA Galaxy.
1: Well, I think what this really tells you is the importance of a manager. I mean, I think that is honestly the only reason, if not, you know, one of the top reasons why he's even here, why he's in MLS right now is because of that connection with that manager, why he chose, you know, MLS over any other club, whether it's in, um, in, in Europe or otherwise. And I think that um, the, the biggest thing for me, and I'm excited to see what he does, I, I think any time this league gets an additional player that is lights out, lights out like this at this level, everyone in the league should be cheering up and down. Just like when someone like a a, a Wayne Rooney decides that he's not going to be in the league any longer, should be a little sad about it because that's just a player that, you know, attracts attention to the league, makes the league better for the most part. You know, Wayne Rooney heading out at the end of the season. So the fact that Pavone is here, he's playing with the LA Galaxy. I think it's fantastic for the league. Yes, it's a Western Conference opponent and Minnesota United is going to have to face them and, and see him multiple times in a season. I do think it is it is stunning for the league. It's stunning for him to be here. We still don't know how it got done and how he played in four <laughs> days. I mean, that's a that's a mystery to everybody involved. And you can talk to anybody; nobody really understands how it got done. Maybe we can ring up Don Garber and have him on. But um, but I think it's it's fantastic. And the, the the bigger thing for me, and I said this to you earlier today at training, is it's got to bother the heck out of Zlatan Ibrahimovic just a little bit because so much attention has been made, and he is used to being the man at LA mm. Galaxy this was over in Europe, if this was when he played for Manchester United, it doesn't matter. There's a, a gazillion, you know, big names on those teams. But for him and all this talk about Pavone and how much money and how they get him here. And, and you know, when he was coming in, what's I just think that's got to bother his lot of time. just a little bit. But if then he helps them win, then he's he's over it. Just no like way. They beat Dallas last it. night. No way that bothers. Them. You don't think so? No. Chance. Oh, I 100 percent think it does. I think it bothers his ego. A hundred percent. He's not going to publicly say it. But he wants the attention. on I mean, him. he doesn't like that the wallpaper for the LA Galaxy is of Christian Pavone. I, I don't think he, deep down, that has to bother the heck out of him. Because here in LA, he is the man. He is the talk of the town for the LA Galaxy. Let's not talk about LAFC. He is the talk of the town. He is, the rule. you know, he rules the roost. And I think initially it's, it's just got to bother him a little bit. His ego, it's, it's got to bruise it just a tiny bit.
2: But, so going but, to you, but why do you not think because so? I, I'm reading this article on uh, LA galaxy.com from Adam Serrano. And the headline is Christian Pavone earns high praise after rolling LA galaxy victory over FC Dallas. Quote, he is the difference from Zlatan.
1: Well, what's he going to say publicly? What in the heck would he say publicly? He I
2: think throw he him said, under the bus and tell
1: to, him he's not, he's not a good
2: addition. He, to go on with it. He goes very good answering the question. He's very good. Um, I think MLS will not have him for a long time. We should enjoy him while while he's here. I've played with many players, and I see when a player's the difference, he is the difference. Zlatan is 36 years old. He has scored over 500 goals in his career. If he's not worried, and he thinks he's the best player that's basically ever played this game, he would put himself in the conversation with Messi and Ronaldo, genuinely, if you asked him, on record, off record. So with all due respect, to Christian Pavone, Pavone is not a worry for Zlatan in his mind. Even if we may think it's a worry, for Zlatan, 0. 0.0 chance he's in the least bit worried, his ego, about Pavone. This guy hasn't done enough in his career yet to do to to even slightly bother Zlatan. I think we're Zlatan. talking about
1: two different things. I'm not talking about worried about his position being taken, worried about... No, no, no know, neither I, am I. I. I think it's 100% that, you know... He it it will bother anybody who has an ego as large as Latan's. There's no chance to me that he doesn't feel a little bit like, what the heck is all this attention on? I want to get it back on me. And now it's a quote from him about the player. Like but I, he literally just, just
2: said, he's a Ferrari, and the rest of the league are Fiats. He doesn't yep. think that this guy's better than him.
1: I didn't say he's better than him. He's I'm not
2: worried saying. about him getting any attention whatsoever. He's probably happy that he's finally getting a guy that can give him better service, so he 100%. can score more goals. That's how 100%. he sees it.
1: Oh. Uh, I don't think he likes that that Galaxy wallpaper is Christian Pavone. I don't know if he even checks
2: (laughs) (laughs) lagalaxy.com. I'm not even sure he knows what the website is.
1: Well, I wouldn't put it past anybody with an ego that big. They can say they don't read the newspapers. They can say they don't look at the news. They can say they don't look at Twitter, but we all know how that really unfolds.
2: Let's let's wait and see in a week's time what that wallpaper goes back to, and and I'm sure he's not going to be – too worried that the week of the signing of Pavon, you know, he gets the attention, but it'll, it'll inevitably and always trickle back to Zlatan. He's so good at making it about himself, but then he backs it up scoring another brace last night to get him a big win that pushes him right back into a, you know, a a really solidified spot for the time being in the Western conference. But we may have to agree to disagree on this because if he's not worried about any other player in the world, Christian Pavone is not the guy that's all of a sudden going to shake his confidence, regardless if he's a teammate or not. That's just,
0: I have a hard time. Cal, it seems to be one-to-one. Do you want to break this tie? Well, what I will say is, that it is, is regardless, I, I think that that um, the LA Galaxy will um, have no issue with uh, the attacking quartet now at their yeah. disposal, yeah. with Christian Pavon ultimately... and, and whatnot, and, and Alvarez and Alessandrini when he's fit, or Antuna, Antuna. behind Zlatan Ibrahimovic, and I, I, I can see your point, Kindra, because he he does, um, he he comes across as somebody who enjoys the attention, no doubt about it, but I think his his level is so high, and and he absolutely was at the very peak of this game on the world stage. I'm not sure somebody like Christian Pavon, who who hasn't, hasn't done as much as perhaps he would have wanted to yet, really moves the needle as much as people might think it. Having said that, if another superstar comes into LA Galaxy, maybe that's different. Maybe if somebody comes in... Um, with uh, a profile that is um, been as as large as Latin or at least on a similar scale to Zlatan over the course of the last couple of years, maybe he did then have an issue with it. Maybe,
2: who knows? We're talking about about, about the same age range. Like, if I'm doing quick math here, Zlatan is 37, so what he's. 40. Fourteen years, thirteen years older than Pavon so we go back thirteen years. That puts us in about 2006. He was playing for Inter Milan at the time. Had already played for Juventus. Had played for Ajax. Started in Malmo. I mean, had, I don't know how many I'm cats purely, at the time. I'm
1: purely talking about but, the media attention. I'm not talking about how many goals Pavone has scored and how many Zlatan did at that age. I'm but I think so that hurts your argument
2: because there's like no, that. there's no, but Pavone is a is a drop in the bucket to the media attention that so Zlatan far, gets. So far,
1: so far. But I'm just, but, I'm just saying, I think. That this last week and a half and how much hubbub has been around him, I'm, I'm just saying, like, there's no way publicly he'll, he'll never come out and say it. He'll never come out and admit that something right. bothers him about another player getting more attention. Ultimately, what Zlatan cares about is winning games. And if he's going to make them better and they are going to win games, then 100% he will be all for the addition. He doesn't care that. He's there, like he's gonna take his spot, or he's gonna take goals away. No, from that's not what I'm saying. But you're talking about like media that. attention. A hundred percent. You cannot tell me that in the back of his mind, in the slightest little bit that there isn't some little inkling of an, an irk that bothers him that Pavone has gotten that much of attention. No, That's, come on. I mean, come I, on. I, I don't <laughs> this know. This
2: guy's not worried about, on the world stage, know. he thinks I've... people watch MLS in around the world because of him. That's And, fine. and to an and extent, he might be right. right. he, and and he might actually street. Street. but be right. <laughs> but, yep. but realistically, I don't know if the entirety of the United States and soccer fans, I'm not talking about soccer enthusiasts, but soccer fans probably even know who Christian Pavone is. But if you say Zlatan's name, everyone's going to know him. He knows that. You know that. I know that. They know that. One week of attention for Pavon is not shaking Zlatan Ibrahimovic confidence in the least bit.
1: Well, no one ever said it was going to shake his confidence. That was not the argument whatsoever. But I mean, I've covered LeBron James, and everybody knows LeBron James. And and when other people get attention and it's not on him— you can absolutely—he'll smirk at you. He'll be a total jerk to you. He'll—he'll he'll give you this look like, who do you think you are, bringing up that—you know what I mean? Like there are big-time athletes have a little bit of an edge and an attitude, and I don't think it's going to shake Zlatan's confidence one bit. He will still be the person that he always has. I'm just saying, like deep down, you can't tell me for one second he hasn't thought about the attention that had gotten the last week and a half.
0: I do wonder... Two weeks. I do wonder if, if somebody were to say something that was critical towards Latan Ibrahimovic. I do wonder how he would react. I mean, let's be honest. And I know he, he was saying this purely um, to spark the, the rivalry between the Galaxy and LAFC, but he wasn't shy of criticizing Carlos Vela, was he? No. Um, and I, I so I understand your point, Kindra. I, I, a superstar, if people are critical of them because they are used to so much attention i, I wonder what would happen if Zlatan really got some some criticism hard forceful criticism i wonder how he would react to to that certain individual um, be interesting nevertheless um the la galaxy have gained a fabulous player <laughs> and uh, no doubt about it the galaxy will now once again be considered to be challengers uh, towards the, the top end of the Western Conference, no doubt about it. Let's, let's stick with the Western Conference, shall we? Um, two people going out of Major League Soccer are the managers at Real Salt Lake and Houston Dynamo. Um, Jamie, I'll come to you about Real Salt Lake as it's your former stomping ground shortly. Kindra, talk to me about Wilma Cabrera and the firing uh, of the Colombian at Houston Dynamo.
1: I mean, people seem to think, and when when I talk to some people associated with the club, that this was just a matter of time, you know? I mean, I think that the Houston Dynamo, even though they were, what, six points out of the playoffs maybe or something like that at the time that he was fired the other day, I just think that they felt it was sort of a sinking ship. And, um, you know, I think I saw some quotes today about the GM saying, like, we're going to hire someone who, who is on board with our, our culture, So I don't know what that implies about the, you know, the firing of Wilmer Cabrera or if he's just saying that it was not that Wilmer wasn't on board with their culture, but that when they go forward, this is something that they are absolutely looking for. So, I mean, Houston has a ton of problems in in the sense of just like that should be a hotbed for soccer there. And you go to those games and there is nobody. And you talk to people that are, you know, in the media around the Houston Dynamo in a place with that kind of soccer rich history and, 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 you know, it's it's like trying to pull teeth to get people to come to the games and even though they exist and they also have the Houston Dash and the women's team. And at a time when Carly Lloyd was there, she's not there anymore, but no one came to games. So there's just a lot of things going on there. And, and you hope they write the shit because it's good for MLS if they're doing well and people are coming to games. Yes. But ultimately, I don't think anybody was, anybody at least within Houston was shocked that Wilmer Cabrera, I don't know if I was maybe a little shocked at the timing of it Um why now all of a sudden, you know, why maybe, maybe they still feel like they have a, a chance to make the playoffs with the change. Um, but we'll see, we'll see what happens. And, um, I mean, Jamie probably knows a couple of players that he talks to within it. and of course, we know, Chris Ramirez just went there, but I mean, you know what he, he didn't do anything but score in his, his opening game. And then the next day they like fired their, their head coach. So mm-hmm. we'll see what happens, but, um. You know, I think uh, we'll see. I don't think it's going to fix the whole problem there in Houston, no. just getting a new head coach, getting a new manager.
0: I think it probably you, you've hit the nail on the head, in my opinion, there in terms of they probably felt as though this season they, they perhaps had a better chance of reaching the postseason if they made a change. I, I do find it strange, though, because he's not been there too long. Right. And I, I often, I, I, unless it's going completely mm-hmm. horrible, mm-hmm. I often question teams firing their manager when they are a year and a half mm-hmm. and two years or sometimes even three years in because you have to give a manager time and and i just I, I was quite surprised that the dynamo pulled the trigger when they did the key thing for them now is who do they appoint mm-hmm. and is it going to be any better than what they already had um jamie i i know you're eager to talk about rail salt lake Mike Petkey, Um, being let go after several different incidences, we're we're led to believe. Uh, And an old friend of yours, uh, Freddy Juarez, who, of course, um, had a short time playing here for the Minnesota Thunder, is taking over on an interim basis. Would it surprise you at all if this is an audition for him?
2: No, not at all, because there's only been four coaches uh, in Real Salt Lake's history, um, and they are a club that doesn't... uh, tried to go out and attract a big name coach. And that doesn't play in the market there. That's not what they're about. That's not what their identity is about. And, uh, one of the four was the inaugural coach, uh, John Ellinger. Mm. So the guy that, that drafted myself and was there for the first couple of years before Jason Christ took over. And, um, it's kind of a, a a weird, um, mentality they have, as opposed to some other clubs, some other clubs churn coaches in and out. And it's, let's get a big name guy. Let's, let's, let's uh, go for the name recognition factor. Uh, Salt Lake doesn't necessarily play to that. They have a pipeline with the homegrown players. So they very much value coaches that know the system. Freddie Juarez worked in the academy, worked his way up, understands the homegrown system, understands those players. And much like you're seeing with Luchi Gonzalez in Dallas, Dallas did the same type thing when Oscar Pereira left to go to Tijuana. Well, now you got Lucha Gonzalez taking over, who's coached 17 players on that roster through the homegrown system. I don't know what Freddie Juarez's numbers are as far as the same thing, but it's a very similar type uh, of hiring. I think if you do go that route, a guy that understands the club culture, what the club's about, uh, the players that are coming through the pipeline and then ultimately into the first team. And they're a team that incorporates homegrown players very much. So um, not just let's, you know, devalue the homegrown system and go strictly for big name players. Um, You know, the firing of Mike Pecky, I'm sure we all have uh, thoughts on it. And I'm sure all of those thoughts vary a little bit. Some certainly should be let go. Some, he shouldn't be fired some middle of the road. Um, I think I can understand the reasoning behind it. This is the third July in a row. He's had an outburst that has gotten him fined. And this one obviously um, was the worst of the lot. Um, With that said, if this had been his first one and understanding who he is, because knowing Mike Pecky, the way I do, he is not homophobic in the least bit, not one bit point blank and simple. And I've also been in situations where you see red and I'm sure we all have in life with anything, but on the soccer field in particular, you're saying something that in his mind, he was probably saying something that was very hurtful the connotation of the word, I don't think he meant it in the context that is the most hurtful way that the word can be interpreted. And this is just my speculation on it. Um, I know he probably wanted to be, wanted to get his point across that he was so upset with how the officiating was and the fact he hung around and did it the way that he did, that obviously played into the decision of it being so bad because there should have been a cooling off period where he should have been able to cool off and like, this isn't worth it. Um, But we're in a day and age that um, if you're saying words like that that are so polarizing and hurtful and harmful to a large community and portion of our society regardless if you meant that way and it's it can be taken that way and it was taken that way by a large portion of our beloved community and society it's it's something that Deloy Hansen and Realsa Lake had to look at and say this isn't a part of who we are and this is not in our values. So for us, this is a decision we're making. Um, you know, it, it's something that Mike Pecky put himself in that situation. Um, whether a hundred percent purposely or not is not really the issue he did. And that's the consequences of it. Um, I just hope that this doesn't this label of the fact he used this word repeatedly a lot right, and in a, in a mean context towards the referee trying to be hurtful, not in a homophobic way, but in a a hurtful way of the other terms it has. By the way, it's not much better anyways, but it's not as bad as that context. Um, I hope he doesn't get labeled as homophobic and somebody that uses homophobic, um, hateful speech towards others because I personally don't believe he is that human being and I don't want to see him cost him a job for the rest of his life in this field you know, and in this, in this world. So, um, but that's to be seen because anybody that is going to have to hire him is going to take on, you know, this incident that will stick with him. So, um, I just hope this isn't a scarlet letter for Mike Pecky because I know Mike Pecky and that's not him. So, but nevertheless, big opportunity for Freddie Juarez. Um, if he can see RSL through into a playoff spot and give a good direction for the club, um, to Craig Weibel, the GM, and to Deloitte Hansen, the ownership group, I think he has a maybe even a better opportunity than anybody else. I think he has to certainly be the front runner.
0: Well, they're up to fourth in the Western Conference, which continues to get even more wild as the season goes on. And, uh, guys, we've done it again. We've reached 45 minutes and we've still got stuff to talk about. Cut it off. (laughs) (laughs) So what we'll do is we were going to talk about the Open Cup, obviously a tremendous um, moment for Minnesota United. But what we'll do is we'll talk about that closer to the time. We'll have plenty of Open Cup content coming your way. Make sure you keep your eyes tuned to MNUFC.com over the coming weeks. So next up, we'll talk about Minnesota United's next opponent on Saturday. A quick turnaround for the Loons, Orlando City, who after somewhat of a miniature revival coming off the back of, of back to back wins, find themselves on the cusp of the playoff line, Kindra, 33 points alongside Toronto in ninth and Montreal in seventh. No doubt... Orlando City were going to come into this game with added motivation because of the coaching staff, which is something we'll we'll talk about a little later on as well. Um, but even more motivation now, knowing that there is a realistic chance for them to get themselves into the postseason for the first time in MLS. Well, and
1: I think honestly, the the motivation is going to be real on both sides, and I, I know we talked to Adrian Heath about it today, and he answered some questions. And you know, the question was, is there more motivation for this game because it's your former employer? And he said, you know, not really. And, and of course, we can always – we can take what the coach says and what Kevin Molino says for their word, but at the same time, we also know deep down I think that there's also a lingering uh, a lingering thought there. I think it was a little bit different last year when we went to Orlando City sure. because there is an element there, and he, and he noted that himself. You head to Orlando City in a building where you helped create and in a soccer culture that you helped create. It was six years of hard work of being out in the community every second that you possibly could – you know, and he said that, you know, every radio show, every magazine, every anything that you were a part of to try to continue to grow the culture there of soccer in Orlando. And so I think there was a different element there going back there than maybe at home. And now the element is, okay, you're going to come into my turf. You try to beat us here at Allianz Field in front of our home crowd. Look what we have built here and good luck. And as far as Orlando City just as a team, yeah, they're they coming off a nice win over a sporting Kansas City side that has absolutely crumbled um, and you and you probably know that better than anybody, knowing some people in KC and, and Peter Vermees of what the status is of that club. But nonetheless, a win is a win is a win. And now they head to Minnesota on a short week. And, um, you know, I still think ultimately if they want to make it to the playoffs, get above that line and have any sort of run at it, they need some of their players to start stepping up. I mean, they got Nani, which was massive. And I think that was, I think that's been a good addition for them. But we were just talking about this. Dom Dwyer just seems to have fizzled a little bit. And I know he's been dealing with some injuries the last couple of years and whatever, but players like that, um, I think, need to start scoring goals and putting really a stamp on the game and making their mark on a game for Orlando to continue to to try to thrive, get above the line, and and move up that Eastern Conference.
0: Orlando City, Jamie, have never beaten Minnesota United. No, they haven't. Which, of course, will make Adrian Heath smile. I, I think the smile will lessen as the years go on, because I think it becomes less synonymous really, doesn't it? And and less meaningful because he's of of the years and time he's had with Minnesota United now. But I I get the feeling again, as I said to Kendra, that there will be added motivation for Orlando coming in because of that. And also to get one over their old coach, James O'Connor as well is the manager now at Orlando city, a player you played with a player that Adrian Heath coached uh, and has known um, since he was 16, I believe when he first came over to Stoke city in England from Ireland, um, no doubt there's, there's plenty of incentives here for both sides.
2: No, there is. And and it'll probably be more so for the coaches and for the supporters than the actual players that are still on Orlando City. As of right now, going through the roster, uh, only two players mm-hmm. that were actually in that that mix with Adrian Heath in Orlando City and those players, Christian Nagita and then Dom Dwyer. So, um, and Dom Dwyer, you know, was obviously it was the USL era and then he ended up coming back whenever. So for the player standpoint, there won't be the same necessarily motivation and, and for Minnesota United, it's only Kevin Molino. Um, so you know what I mean? There's only three players that could potentially be on the field that it would actually really mean something to, but as you mentioned with, with James O'Connor, a lot of the things James O'Connor learned as a manager were following in those years of being a player underneath Adrian Heath. And then involving how he saw the game and a lot of what he did at Louisville City that won them back-to-back USL championships was in that kind of mold of what Adrian Heath does with his touch on it and his take on it. So um, it'll mean a lot to the supporters. It'll mean a lot to the front office and and whatever. But it, it'll in the coaches. But um, I think the players know that history, and I think they'll want to do well for their current managers and and to be able to do that. But um, I, I think the book. Really, I don't want to say close cause I don't think it'll ever be closed forever for Adrian Heath, but we got to, uh, uh, sort of the end of it a little bit last year when Minnesota United went to Orlando city and Cal one of your best ever goal calls, uh, the Prince of Minnesota, um, scores amongst the purple rain in Orlando when Ethan mm-hmm. Finley scored in the rain in Orlando, it was a incredible goal call, incredible game. And, um, that was a big moment for him getting the win in 2017 at TCF was big. That was the first time playing against them. The win in Orlando in 2018 at Orlando city. Um, that was a big moment for him. So now I think it's just going to be more iterations of it. And there'll always be that, that storyline to it now had Orlando city won and we're talking about in the Open Cup semifinals against Atlanta, and we've been talking about both clubs' first Major League Soccer trophy or trophy since both of them had been in there, then it would have been knocked down, dragged. This is the Rocky Five, uh, you know, of of uh, matches. But um, this one, I think, will just be more important because both teams are, are really trying to cement themselves. Orlando City trying to jump above the playoff line, and for Minnesota United, they're trying to keep pace at the top of the West that, you know, it's as crazy as it sounds – if FC Dallas won two games, they would be above Minnesota United. Minnesota lost lost the next two games, and vice versa. You could find yourself quickly going down the Western Conference if you don't take these points. So points at home are, are at a premium right now, and doesn't matter who it's against. I think it'll just be a little cherry on top that it would be Orlando City for Adrian Heath. It's
0: crazy right now. Minnesota on 41 in second place, Dallas in eighth on 36. Every single solitary game is so important from now until the end of the regular season. Um, so before we wrap things up here, then, Kendra, from a, a Minnesota United point of view, what should we expect on Saturday?
1: Well, I think it's going to really depend on the health of the players. I think that, again, this short week, I know a lot of players were rested in Dallas, but it was, you know, another very physical game against Colorado Rapids. And you're at home, which is absolutely a bonus. But um, if I'm Adrian Heath, I don't I don't change a thing unless, unless necessary. I would not change a thing. I wouldn't touch it. Um, I really liked Robin Lord. I thought he looked fantastic, you know, pinching in and 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 really that middle of the field with Kevin Molino and then Ozzy and Yammer a lot of little more freedom. Darwin was allowed to push up a little bit, um, you know. We know without Mason Toy once again. So, if I'm um, Adrian Heath, if all is healthy, all things being equal, I would not, I would not change that starting eleven one bit on on Saturday against Orlando City.
0: Jimmy, final thoughts? What are you expecting?
2: I think Andrew's right there. I wouldn't make a change either. Um, if a force change in the midfield three, I think Ethan Finley is a good option with the form he's in. Um, but I'm with Kendra; I wouldn't change anything. Um, I think that gives you your best chance to win in an important game. So, same eleven for me. You, Cal?
0: Uh, yeah, don't uh, have any disagreements there. Um, you know, uh, as Kendra insinuated, if there is a little injury issue somewhere, then then obviously the change will be made. But um, we know Adrian Heath as well, and unless he absolutely has to. He won't change his side. And why would he? They are on a roll right now. And you can watch them continuing this fabulous role in Major League Soccer. 6.30pm Central on Fox Sports North+. Plus, Remember, those of you who can't get to a TV, the game also on the radio on Score North as well. My thanks, as always, to Kendra D. St. Aubin and to Jamie Watson and to you for joining us here once again. You've been listening to a Minnesota United production.